This is Ringler Radio, where you get all the latest news and information about the structured settlement industry from the experts in the know. Ringler Associates, the undisputed leader in structured settlements for more than 30 years and the only broker you need. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Aviva, Genworth Financial, The Hartford, Mass Mutual, MetLife, Liberty Life, American General, and Pacific Life and Annuity. Now, join Ringler Radio host Larry Cohen. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Ringler Radio. I'm Larry Cohen, the head of Ringler Associates New England Operations, and this edition of Ringler Radio is coming to you from the beautiful island of Puerto Rico here at the annual meeting of the National Structured Settlement Trade Association, NASTA. You know, our guests are high-profile industry experts who discuss a wide, wide range of issues that are important to trial attorneys, defense attorneys, and just about everyone else involved in the settlement industry. And every Ringler Radio show can be downloaded from our website, ringlerassociates.com or thelegaltalknetwork.com. Well, with me today, serving as co-host, is another great Ringler associate, Joe Mullis. Joe is the head of uh, Ringler's Texas Operations and Joe joined Ringler in 1982, and before that, he had about 20 years of experience in casualty claims. And like me, uh, Joe has a wife that he certainly does not deserve. Is that right, Joe? I'll agree with that 100%, Larry. <laughs> I know, that's terrific. Well, welcome, Joe, to uh, Ringler Radio. Thanks. You know, most lawsuits are case-specific, and uh, the outcome affects only the participants. But uh, there are a lot of other cases where the outcomes, either through settlements or, or verdicts, have uh, come to benefit society as a whole. Uh, we can see those results in the tobacco settlements and pharmaceutical uh, litigation. But, uh, you know, most of the time, the most far-reaching results come out of class action lawsuits against major corporations accused of making defective products because those products then get corrected and uh, society benefits. And that brings us to our topic today, which is when structures work for everyone, it's really a case study on the Firestone Tires. And our guest is attorney Thomas Woodrow at the firm of Holland and Knight in Chicago. And Tom focuses on litigation and complex product liability in commercial cases. He's an expert on this case study, which is the Firestone Tire case from the late 90s. And I'm uh, pleased to also state, and Joe, you'll be, you'll be impressed with this, that Tom has been listed since 2005 in the best lawyers in America uh, in the field of alternative dispute resolution. So that's qu quite a... Quite a story there for you, Tom. Welcome. Thank you, Larry. Thank you. Well, you know, today at NASTA, you had a presentation focused on the Firestone tire controversy. And, uh, you know, there were dozens of class action lawsuits filed against Firestone. So what we want to do is uh, Joe and I are going to try to help dissect the case through your expertise. And so why don't we start out by asking you, what did the National Highway Safety Administration, what did they find in their investigation of Firestone as, as you went through your work? Ultimately, Larry, the finding was that uh, a very uh, select group of tires had uh, certain design defects and in certain applications uh, were tires that should have been uh, taken out of service, which is the decision Firestone made in August of 2000. Terrific. Mm -hmm. This case was settled, Tom. Uh, what were the terms of that settlement? Did it benefit other than just a direct participants? Uh, yes, I, I would say so. You know, there are so many different components of, of this situation. There were individual lawsuits arising out of accidents involving tires that were recalled, and in many instances, tires that weren't recalled. 
Uh, there were uh, government investigations, congressional investigations, state attorney general investigations, and the class actions that you've mentioned and seem to be alluding to were really a somewhat smaller piece of the puzzle because those were primarily resolved. There were a couple of settlements, but those were primarily resolved by the appellate courts as to whether they were appropriate for class action status or not. The real thrust of this litigation was in the number of individual product liability lawsuits that had been consolidated in different courts. That, that's probably the better way to put it. Uh, I think it was the consolidation of all those cases. You, you certainly had a, a hand in all of this. What was your role in, uh, in the Firestone litigation? My primary role, beginning shortly after the, <clears throat> excuse me, the recall was announced, was to shift from what I would call day-to-day handling of litigation matters, taking depositions, answering interrogatories, et cetera, to, to really meeting with the litigants and to determine whether the cases can be settled and to charting a settlement course or settlement strategy for the overall number of cases that were involved. Mm-hmm. And did the, you know, did the structured settlement industry get involved in these cases? Were you... Were you- personally involved with doing handling structured settlements or with brokers trying to resolve this litigation? Yes. Um, in fact, the structured settlement industry was a, an integral part of the program that we, that we ended up designing, if, for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think I should point out that the structured settlement industry was important on both sides of the V here uh, because Firestone and, and, and Ford, which was involved in this litigation, had its quote-unquote, structured settlement brokers, but the plaintiffs did too. Mm-hmm. And so broker cooperation was very important in succeeding in moving these cases toward resolution. And, you know, it's funny, though, the, the whole concept of plaintiff brokers and defense brokers from time to time has been a little contentious. But I think most of the time, when you have brokers on both sides that are working together, it really helps the process. Did you find that? Absolutely. In fact, when, uh, when I would show up in a mediation and the plaintiff uh, had a broker, I was delighted to see that. It, it told me that some thought processes were going on on the other side uh, of, of the hallway that would most likely lead us to a settlement, or at least would give us a much better chance of that. You know, Tom, we had quite a number of the uh, Firestone slash Ford cases in my state in Texas, and uh, I found that to be true. The, um, the lawsuits seem to be concentrated in the hands of a few specialists, if you will. Uh, some of them that I know personally had had uh, quite a dossier on Ford from prior litigation and um, brought that to bear in these cases where you had multiple cases consolidated into their firms from other attorneys. Um, I would assume that that consolidation was certainly helpful in your process. It, ultimately, yes. Uh, initially, it, it was problematic for us because uh, certain law firms would have not only a high number of cases, but a high number of the most serious cases. I sat across the table from one lawyer uh, the week before a trial, and he said, we're going to try this case in Hidalgo County, and then we're going to be in, uh, we're gonna be in Bear County in November, and we're going to be in uh, Matagora, Webb County in uh, the following month, and he said he, he said there were going to be five in a row, uh, basically. And so we had to work our way through those sorts of situations. But once we did, uh, 
accumulation in the hands of a few number of attorneys actually help the process? I would think it would. And I I know some of those attorneys uh, very well, and and I certainly know those jurisdictions you're talking about. You know, know, uh, Tom, when you're handling cases of this magnitude, with injuries really of this magnitude, uh, we often receive, uh, as brokers, you know, life care plans. You see the the, the, future loss of wage evaluations by economists. And we as brokers are often used to, you know, take some of those numbers, you know, present value of them, use an annuity process to really give the true nature of the value of some of these items being, uh, being presented to, uh, to allow cases uh, of this magnitude to get settled. Did you find that, that that element of how the brokers are used was helpful in your cases? It was. It was, frankly, I think probably the most important component in the most catastrophic cases that we faced. Uh, we would almost invariably receive a life care plan for uh, the plaintiffs who were paralyzed or who had serious brain injuries and who needed different elements of lifetime care as a result of these accidents. And what w- what we were able to do was, uh, in fact, Ringler Associates, um, and one of the brokers with Ringler was really the, the, the pivot point on this. That was Larry Curtis. That was Larry Curtis. It? Yeah, right. Um, he had uh, created a, a program, and I'm, I don't know the details of it terribly well, but what I know is I would receive a spreadsheet and a summary of a spreadsheet that would chart out those life care costs. And uh, and then he would be able to provide an annuity with certain payments that would provide for all of those costs in that life care plan. There was a second element to it, and because of Larry's expertise and because of uh, Ringler broker expertise and some of the planet's broker expertise, we were able to challenge some of those needs within the life care plan based on the experience that we had all had together in our cases. So we could do two things. We could show the plaintiff it's not going to cost as much as you think to fund these needs. And secondly, there are certain needs in here that you know, I know, and everybody knows you should be willing to forego. You know, it's funny. We we see this all the time. And I, I like to refer to it as the plaintiff presents the Rolls-Royce life care plan, and the defendants oftentimes give you the Chevrolet, and the truth lies somewhere in a Buick. And, uh, that's correct. And that's what we try to do. Tom, uh, you think you're going to star in maybe an Aaron Brockovich-type uh, situation? <laughs> I, I hope not to ever have to encounter Aaron um, <laughs> anywhere. <laughs> I'm not sure that's such a bad thing. Uh, that's, but, that's a good point, or whoever plays her, right? You know, you know what's interesting is that our own uh, Ringler associate, Dennis English, uh, played a, a large part in the settlement of that Aaron Brockovich case, and so uh, he knew all the players in the, in the movie, and I was often wondering who was going to play him in the movie, but he, they, they cut him out, didn't they? <laughs> well, you know... Uh, Tom Firestone, spokesperson at uh, back at the Times, said that we believe that this settlement really is in the best interest of all concerned, and uh, that's a that's a nice statement for him to make concerning all the you know after you look at all the the, the dollars that were that were expended. Uh, how do you feel about that? Do you think that was the the, the settlement was in the best interest of Firestone? It, I, I'm assuming, Larry, that what you're speaking of there is the resolution of the NHTSA proceedings. Yes, exactly. And I think it was, and it was it, 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 that was a customer-driven decision by the company. And I think the the good news for the customers was that by the time NHTSA made its conclusions, Firestone had already acted to to recall most of the tires that were. Um, that were involved in that decision. There were a few additional 
tires that Firestone agreed to take back at the conclusion of the investigation, and that was certainly in the customer's best interest. So there would be no confusion about what should or shouldn't be on the road. Uh, Tom, did this settlement affect, or or how did it affect uh, more people than just the tire owners and the vehicle owners? You know, I I think, Joe, the the way I would respond to that would be that what we, we tried to create was an environment for a fair evaluation of cases. Um, and so I'd like to think that we benefited the system to some extent. We uh, certainly, within the federal MDL, I think made an impression uh, in, the, in the court in Indianapolis, also in Judge Mays' court, I hope, in Conroe, Texas, that early resolution efforts, sincere early resolution efforts by both Ford and Firestone um, can be useful in reducing uh, a large docket of cases in a fair and reasonable manner. So I'd like to think there was something beyond just the, the people who were involved in the accidents per se. Well, it would, it would appear that the American consumer had to be a big, big winner here, ultimately, because uh, you would assume that the Firestone, Bridgestone, Firestone products and tires are now safer and, and better and, and more attention is paid to their, uh, to their quality. Is that true? Uh, I think so, but that was, all, that was always um, a goal of the company was to advance the technology and to move forward. Um, and, and the tire industry, like all industries, are always making advancements. I think Firestone, like any other company, would like the customers riding on the most up-to-date, most recently designed tires that we've put out of our plants. No, no question. Well, it's time to take a short break, and uh, we're going to hear from the folks that make Ringler Radio a, a reality. And uh, after that, much more from Tom and Joe, and uh, we'll be back in just a minute. Let's take a short break. Ringler Radio at the NASTA meeting in Puerto Rico. Don't miss all of our shows here, including an exclusive interview with U.S. Congressman Charles Rangel. This is Ringler Radio, internet radio from Ringler Associates, placing more than $18 billion in structures over the past 30 years and one of the few companies that truly enjoys the trust of all parties in the settlement process. Ringler Radio is produced by broadcast professionals at the Legal Talk Network. Did you know you can download Ringler Radio to your iPod? Just go to iTunes and subscribe to the Legal Talk Network. It's free. Ringler Radio, internet radio from Ringler Associates, is proud to be broadcasting from the NASTA annual meeting in Puerto Rico. Listen to all of our shows. Welcome back to Ringler Radio. Again, I'm Larry Cohen, along with my colleague Joe Mullis from Texas and attorney Tom Woodrow from Holland and Knight in Chicago. And we're talking structured settlements that work for everyone, especially around the, the whole area of the Firestone Tire litigation. And, uh, Tom, what other lawsuits are, are noteworthy in terms of uh, class action settlements that, were stru- that involve structured settlements? I know we had tobacco, asbestos, fen-fen, and, and maybe why hasn't the Vioxx uh, litigation gone in that class action direction yet? Do you have any feelings about all that? Sure. I, I think there's... There, there's a great deal of confusion outside of uh, probably practicing lawyers about what really is a class action as opposed to what we may refer to as a mass tort. That's um, a good point. I think the Vioxx set of cases is 
really we would classify it as a mass tort situation where a number of people have taken the medication and complain of some malady or injury. But each one of them is different, and each one of the conditions that that person suffers is different. And that diff, that, that, those wide-ranging differences make a situation like Vioxx inappropriate for class action status. You don't have the commonality that you need and those kinds of that's, issues? That's exactly correct. And, and, and in fact, in the federal system, that can never be a class action, but it certainly can be a consolidated set of cases where the cases are all consolidated for purposes of discovery or for other purposes into one court and then sent back for trials to the individual courts. Interesting. I've noticed some of the uh, Vioxx cases that I've been sort of watching that that are, are excluded from the uh, multi-district litigation. Uh, do the plaintiffs have the option to opt in or opt out of those? Not if you're in the federal system. Um, if you're in the federal system or your case has been removed to a federal court, and if there is a federal multi-district litigation, you will go there. Of course, some of the Vioxx cases, particularly ones in New Jersey where uh, the company is located, are in state court. Um, and, and so you're seeing cases being tried in the state court, although in New Jersey I understand there is a consolidation of sorts as there are in other states. Some states don't have consolidation of common cases. Others do. Are there any big consumer lawsuits or consumer protection lawsuits uh, out there right now? Well, I'm sure that there are. I'm, uh, I'm not probably going to be able to give you uh, one right off the top of my head, but really the, the, the most active area in our practice has been the pharmaceutical area. In, in terms of the numbers of cases, in terms of the types of cases, in terms of the products. And they are the most, I think, probably the most noteworthy consumer products that are su the subject of this type of litigation. Uh, when you get into different areas, the, the cases aren't as noteworthy because typically the damages are not as, as serious or as extreme. You may have a property damage cases. You may have mold cases, for example, would be... Uh, a good example, but you know you're talking about a different set of circumstances. Yeah, that, that's a big. That's a big area. Uh, in in my part of the world, we're we're actually seeing a lot of the uh, this, uh, Novo um, plaster, uh, the drywall, drywalls, uh, the exteriors. Right. That we're seeing quite a bit of that. And in fact, I saw a quite large uh, settlement in the newspaper on that just the other day. Right, and, and you hear of others. Uh, one that just came to mind is there is a group of cases involving um, welding torches, settling torches, and uh, the, the there's a combination of chemicals that supposedly have injured the workers over the years. Uh, that's not really a consumer case as such, but it is one that involves a large number of, of individuals who, of course, have used those products. Well, the ingenuity of the legal profession, too, in trying to find places to have uh, the, the litigation to really solve problems for the society in general and also for their own clients. Uh, we know that that, uh, that continues every day. You know, one of the other things that we find is in, in today's world is technology is, is moving in a direction that helping at, on the one hand, but also causing some issues that, of concern in litigation. For example, it would be much easier today, for example, to uh, organize a class action through the Internet to, to get people who have ever used a certain product to, to you know, sign in, log in. Uh, how do you find that the technology advances have uh, either helped in the process or, or hurt the process? 
I think ultimately they're they're assisting the process. Um, certainly, courts. Uh, you see more and more going to electronic filing, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I cannot tell you whether electronic notice has ever been approved for a class action. I suspect it has not, but I also suspect we're moving toward that sort of usage of, of the Internet and of email. Uh, it allows uh, law firms to save money by filing things online, um, by not having to run to the courthouse. It allows firms like my own to file things across borders, um, without yeah. having to worry about having an office there. so I, I had a case recently where uh, uh, it was a tragic case where a father had run over the, uh, with a law, riding lawnmower, run over the feet of his own child and you know, cutting them off. It was a tragic case. And he you know, blamed himself and, and went off on his way until uh, somebody mentioned to him that he ought to just Google you know, lawnmower accidents. And he did, and he found a lawyer uh, in Texas who was actually pursuing these kinds of back-over cases and uh, subsequently filed suit and uh, ultimately settled this case. So, I mean, it, it, it's an ability that the, the Internet and that whole world has gives the average guy an ability to maybe find some things out that they didn't even know about. Yeah. We have a um, situation in Houston now. One of our mediators has uh, patented a, an online mediation forum where for cases like... Uh, Asbestos, where you have a number of defendants and a number of plaintiffs, that they can actually mediate the case online with actually hundreds of parties. It's worked out quite well for well, us. Yeah, I'm sure we're going to see more and more of that uh, as we move down the road. Well, I think we've had a heck of a discussion here today about uh, the, the Firestone, the class action. Any other thoughts, Tom, about uh, the issues that you've raised that you'd like our audience to know about? I, I think that, that to the extent I have a message that is worth I think mentioning again and resonating is that I wish that we could educate people in my shoes a little bit better um, about structures and about their usefulness, uh, particularly in catastrophic cases. I think Joe and I are available today at what, about (laughs) 2 (laughs) o'clock? I had an attorney in El Paso uh, a few weeks ago ask me, he said, what is it that you could tell attorneys about structured settlements? Uh, And I told him, I said, how little you actually know. <laughs> yes. I, and, and they are, they are uh, taken for granted, but I think that the fact that you've put the thought into structures as a defense counsel indicates to the other side that you're serious about what their situation is, what their damages are, and how we can get to a resolution. Well, being here at the NASTA convention, that's what NASTA is all about, the National Structured Settlement Trade Association, trying to educate the American public and, and the legal community as to the benefits of structured settlements. We certainly do it a lot with the politicians so that we assure that the tax-free status remains in effect. And that's the job of all of us, to keep constantly on the agenda the uh, the benefits of structured settlements, especially in some of the cases that you're handling, Tom, and uh, we thank you for all that. So if someone wanted to get in touch with you, Tom, if they had any other questions or wanted to talk to you about some of these issues, how would they get in touch with you? The best way to reach me is is through the law firm. I'm a partner at Holland and & Knight, and anyone can reach me at tom.woodrow at hklaw.com. Terrific. And Joe, how about you down there in Houston? Well, we have an 800 number in my office. It's 800-521-4078, as well as the J. Mullis at Ringler Associates website. And, of course, you can reach any of our Ringler Associates on the ringlerassociates.com website. That's terrific. And uh, I'm Larry Cohen again. You can reach me at 978-974-9922. And uh, that's going to do it for this edition of Ringler Radio. I'd like to thank Tom Woodrow for being such a great guest. And also like to thank Joe Mullis for being a co-host. You did a great job, Joe. And... Uh, 
We're here in Puerto Rico, and it's sunny, and it's time for a little golf. So why don't we go out, and the rest of you out there in the audience, go have a great day. Thanks for listening to Ringler Radio. Ringler Associates, experience counts. Since 1975, Ringler Associates has provided the finest structured settlement services to injured parties and their attorneys. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Aviva, Genworth Financial, The Hartford, Mass Mutual, MedLife, Liberty Life, American General, and Pacific Life and Annuities. 